In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody that's full of faith today said? Amen. Amen and amen. Well, uh, this morning we're going to continue our series on kingdom class. And on last week we spoke in a very powerful way about excellence and what kingdom class represented. And, and we uh, declared that, that standard of excellence, the, that there's a standard in the body of Christ. And the standard in the body of Christ is a standard of, of excellence. It is excellence. That's what excellence represents. And excellence is, uh, means different things to different people. But one of the things that we certainly want to identify is excellence is a standard, is a standard. It's the standard in the body of Christ. And a standard is not something that you try to live up to. But a standard is something that you refuse to live below. And in the body of Christ, as a Christ follower, God says that you are the excellent ones. And so it is not something that we're trying to live up to, but it is something that we refuse to live below. And because excellence means different things to different people, what we want to do is we want to define what excellence is, what excellence means. Uh, and, and so this is the definition that we will use in the Champion Center of Excellence. Excellence is to consistently go beyond what is common, usual, or expected. To consistently go beyond what is common, what is usual, or what is expected. Would you repeat that with me? Excellence is to consistently... Come on, repeat that with me. Excellence is to consistently go beyond what is common, usual, or expected. And so you ask yourself, whatever you do, was it common? Was it usual? Was it what they expected? And if it was beyond that, then you have operated at, the le at a level of excellence. Now, we talked on last week why excellence is important, and we uh, looked at that, that Excellence should be our standard. One of the reasons is because, and we gave you three reasons last week, and, and one is that excellence pleases God. Excellence pleases God. The Bible says that he is captivated by your excellence. And we know what excellence looked like because the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 10 that the queen of Sheba came to Solomon's temple, and what she saw took her breath away. What is it? She saw the way they were dressed. She saw the way they served. She saw their, the, they had the heart of a servant and the mind of the king. She saw how they treated one another. She saw what the place looked like, and the Bible says that it took her breath away. There was no more breath in her. And she was a queen, so she had been exposed to a kingdom, but she had not been exposed to the kingdom. So we looked last week, and it, 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 excellence pleases God. Secondly, it's how God wants us to worship. Number three, excellence will benefit you. Would you say that with me? Excellence will benefit me. Well, what will excellence do? Well, we looked at it on last week, and what excellence will do is excellence will cause you to be promoted. It will cause you to stand out. Excellence will cause you to succeed. It will cause you to be in demand. Excellence will cause you to be admired, and excellence will cause you to be favored. I humbly submit to you that when we look at excellence versus mediocrity, I can, uh, uh, believe that there is no one that wants to just be tolerated, uh, avoided, uh, just wallow in life. No one wants to be disregarded. No one wants to just be uh, 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 passed by or go unnoticed. So as the excellence ones, we want to be promoted. 
We want to succeed. We want to stand out. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be in demand. Do you know that when you're in demand, you don't have to uh, uh, be wondering if you're going to get a promotion or a job. You have an option of which promotion you're going to take. You have an option of what job you're going to take. That's what excellence will do. It will cause you to be in demand. And when something is in demand, you remember the demand supply curve? When there is something that's greater in demand, but there's not supply, the price goes up. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think about this. I think about when we talk about being in demand, uh, there, was a, there, there was a time at, uh, when I uh, left uh, Dallas and went to New York that I recognized, man, I was in demand. I was excited. Why? It's because I had options. Options. Uh, and, and by having options, the signing bonus just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And isn't it wonderful that more than athletes get signing bonuses? But you know what? When you're in demand, uh, would you say, that's me? That's me. Oh, my God. When you're in demand, glory to God, that uh, you have greater value. Let's take a look today because just as... Uh, Excellence will cause you to have those benefits. Uh, there are also enemies of excellence. And uh, I'm going to give you just a few enemies of excellence today uh, because we need to be aware of these enemies so that we can operate at a level of excellence. Enemies of excellence. Number one, the first enemy of excellence is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. See, your life will be determined by your commitments. And so those commitments will determine your progress. Your life will be determined by your commitments. And and, and those commitments will develop or they will delay your progress. And so, so as your commitments go, so does your life. And many times we use the word commitment to announce or declare something. We might say, I'm committed to to this relationship. We might say that I am committed to God. Or I am committed to the church. We, we, we might say those things, but the pledge of commitment is identified. When we look at that, we, we, we can think about it, uh, what stands out the most. The pledge of commitment is identified mostly with marriage, right? And so when a person declares that they are committed, it is a verbal pledge. But what we recognize then, according to statistics, is that We know also that when someone makes a commitment, even to marriage, even in a very formal way, that they can still fail at what they are committing. Why? Committing to why? It's because we see that there are, that the divorce rate is so high. And so if the divorce rate is high and everybody that has entered into a marriage has made a commitment, then it states that just by saying you commitment does not mean that you have the results that commitment provides. Now, so as a result of that, what we need to do is that we need to look at why is the outcome not the same as the commitment that we speak? Why is it not the same? And the reason is this, is that I've just began to meditate on that this week and God spoke in in a very powerful way to me and he said that we make promises about behaviors and outcome, but we don't make that promise based on the process that's necessary for the outcome. Let me say that again. See, what we do is we make promises, and we say that this promise is based on an outcome. So we commit to the outcome, but we do not commit to the process 
that is necessary for the outcome. And therefore, they are words of commitment, but not true commitment. And let me just give you an example of that. Think about a student who makes uh, a commitment. Thinks about it, think about that student who's, who makes a commitment, and their, and their commitment is that I am going to make straight A's. They commit to you as a parent, as a mentor, that they're going to make a 4.0 GPA. But they do not commit to the daily discipline that's necessary to study. Now, although they have made a commitment to the outcome of the semester, what is the probability if they had not committed to the process of the outcome being what they have said or committed to? So what we recognize then is that to the extent that the outcome is the same as what has been committed to, there must be a commitment to the process. Does that make sense? Okay. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, the Bible tells us this. Commit your ways to the Lord. And he, you trust him, and he will what? He will what? Now, in the Catholic Church this morning, it's a little quiet, so I want you guys to, you know what, I'm going to be up here, in the, the length of time that I'm up here is in direct correlation to how you talk to me. Now, if we want to go into the early afternoon, we can, because I want to talk enough so that I know that you have what I'm saying. But if you talk to me this morning, then I'll know you got it the first time and I won't have to keep repeating it over and over and over and over again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Boy, it sounds like you want to go to lunch today. Let's read Psalm 37.5. Let's read it together one more time. Now, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him. Now, commit how many things? Commit everything you do to the Lord and he and trust him and he will help you. And so notice this, the outcome is simply a byproduct of the process. So if you're willing to commit to the process, then you will get the desired outcome. So the first enemy of excellence is a lack of commitment. The second enemy of excellence is a lack of accountability. Lack of accountability. Now, when we were children, we had no accountability at all. Someone woke us up. Someone changed your diaper. Someone cleaned up behind you. They even prepared your food, and they prepared it usually at your command. What do you mean? There was a loud voice (laughs) crying out and never ceased until the desire was satisfied. So there was no accountability from you. All you did is made requests. And based on the requests that you made, you had them fulfilled. And so as we grew grew up and as we began to become older or mature, we got more and more independent. And as a result of that, we have more responsibility. But somehow, in many ways, we did not embrace accountability. Let's look at this and let's, let's, let's talk about this because so we need to know exactly what is accountability. What's accountability? Accountability is being willing to answer for the outcomes resulting from choices, behaviors, and actions. To be willing to answer for the outcome resulting 
from your choices, the choices that you've made, your behavior, what you have done, and your actions. And so the Bible tells us the significance of accountability in Romans chapter 14, verse 12. It says it like this. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So the Bible tells us that there is coming a time where God will ask you to give an account of your life. And he's not expecting someone else to be your voice. He's not expecting excuses. He's not expecting examples of when you would have done what you were. But he's saying that I want you to be accountable for your life. This particular phrase occurs at the judgment seat of Christ. When Jesus comes back, that he is coming back and there will be the judgment seat of Christ where the Christ followers will go. And there is the great white throne. And that is where those who are not Christ followers will be judged. God is judging those that have been Christ followers for their reward in heaven. Because not every person will get the same reward. Although they will get to heaven, they'll have a different reward. But those that come to the great white throne will go, the Bible calls it, to hell or to the lake of fire. And so all of us as Christ followers will go to the judgment seat of Christ and he will look at what you have done, how you have obeyed him, and he will determine your reward that you'll have forever and ever and ever and ever. And so he tells us that we're going to give an account of ourselves. We're going to give an account of ourselves. But notice this. Not only are we going to give an account of ourselves at the judgment seat of Christ, but even today. Notice what he says in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 36. He says, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. And, and the next verse, it says that for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. So notice this, not only what we, what we do in giving account of our entire lives, but he says that you're even going to give an account of what you have said. Because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So, so, so we will be held accountable for our lives. We'll be held accountable for what we say. We will be held accountable for what we do. Let's talk about, rather than a general accountability, let's talk about a personal accountability. Personally being accountable. When you're personally accountable, what happens is you take ownership of the things that you're involved in. And, and, and you take responsibility to what happens. Uh, you don't blame others if things go wrong. And you do your best to make things right. And the reason that accountability is important, and I want you to just get this. Number one, accountability will build trust. And when people can trust you, they know they, they can trust you because they know they can depend on you. Secondly, is that accountability uh, builds respect. People know that you're going to keep your word. And so they respect what you say. And because they respect what you say, then they can trust you. Or they know that they can depend on what you have said you will actually do. And the third thing is that account personal accountability will save time and it will save money. Well, what do you mean? Look, if you're working with someone and you're working on a job, personal accountability will save time. Why? It's because you recognize that, you know what? I'm accountable for what I was doing. And because it's not working out, 
Uh, I'm not just going to keep doing what I have been doing. I'm going to say something about it. I'm going to take ownership for what has not worked out. And then we're going to stop what, what, what we, we were doing. And, and, and we're going to change gears or do something different. What does that do? That saves cost. That saves profits for your employer. And that saves time. Now, when you look at that and you recognize the benefits that excellence causes, all of those things, see, if someone can trust you, if they respect you, and they know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you're not going to cost them a lot of money above what it was required to do it, how many of you know that promotion comes? You stand out among your peers. As the Bible says in Daniel 6, he distinguished himself. How many of you know that you become admired? And you become favored. And do you know what? There is nothing, there's nothing like, there's nothing like being on the fast track. There's nothing like being on the fast track with, with the company. There's nothing like being on the fast track in the body of Christ. See, because obstacles that were, are for other people, those obstacles are just stepping stones for you. And when you're on the fast track, it's like this. The Bible says God restore the years. He restores the years. And I sense that that's what God wants to do for us as a people. That's what God wants to do for those that are followers of his. That's what God wants to do for families. He wants to restore the years. And so the second thing that we recognize, not only is it a lack of uh, commitment that is an enemy to excellence, not only is a lack of accountability an enemy to excellence, but a, but a lack of a sense of urgency, a lack of of a sense of urgency. See, if a sense of urgency is not high enough, then what happens is that complacency sets in. And when people become complacency, uh, then it, it brings you to a place where you just accept mediocrity or accept the average, accept what's normal. Let me give you a perfect example of that. Um, everyone experiences complacency in their lives. Everyone does. And, 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 but when, when it happens, then it captivates our thoughts and our hearts and it just allows us to procrastinate or just accept. And people become complacent in their relationships, in their everyday life. People become uh, complacent financially and people also be become spiritually complacent. Now, because all of us experience complacency, the shame is not in having complacency but it is the failure to recognize that you are complacent and then do something about it. In, the, in, the, in Zephaniah, I want you to turn there, please. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, I want you to see exactly what Zephaniah says. We're going to look at these two passages uh, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says these words, At that time, I will notice what God says about complacency. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, which means that there is a purpose, but because it has not been used, the purpose that it was designed for never becomes fulfilled. And so it's like when a person is complacent, God has a purpose for them but their purpose is never fulfilled simply because they were complacent. And I love the way it says it here. It says that the Lord, this is what they're saying. God doesn't really matter. The Lord will neither do good 
or bad. He really does not matter whether I succeed or not. My success is based on me. And I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. But notice what the Bible says. If you commit your ways to the Lord, if you trust him, he will help you. Therefore, when we look at complacency, God says that, look, I'm looking for people who will further my purpose, my mission for their individual lives, for their family, for their communities, for the church, and ultimately for the body of Christ. And as a result of that, what I'm going to do is he talks about shining a light. And as he shines the light, it, it says in one translation, he'll pass over those who are complacent and he'll go to those who's doing something. Notice what he says about your, your wealth. Verse 13, their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. And though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. But yet God says that I desire to you to be full and happy with your work. But complacency destroys purpose. Complacency destroys potential. Why? It's because people who are complacent, what happens in their lives is that they have this feeling of security, but they're unaware of the challenges that exist today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, I want you to see it like this. Let's read it together. Now, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There is no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives with un unnecessarily. Keep it simple in marriage. And so what he says is that one translation, he was talking about uh, a commitment to relationships. He says, you know what, time is, is of the essence. And so there is a focus on the process and committing to the process. And don't get so distracted in the process that your outcome is not the same as your commitment. He's referring to this as it relates to relationships, as it relates to finances, as it relates to uh, our commitments to him and our commitments to our church, our commitments to our family. Time is of the essence. Now, when life gets complicated, many times we miss deadlines. But deadlines are so important. Deadlines are so critical. And what you recognize is that what is accomplished in life has a corresponding sense of urgency that must be acted upon. And I'll give you a perfect example. Credit card companies. Do you have a deadline? I want you to talk to me this morning. If you have a credit, do credit card companies place a debt monthly deadline if you have an outstanding balance? Yes. Does mortgage companies have a deadline when you're to pay your mortgage? Yes. Mm. Does the utility company have a deadline when you're supposed to pay your bill? Yes. If you do not pay your bill, what happens? So why is it that you adhere to the deadline so that you can have the benefits of what you're acting upon provides. And so when we look at this is that everything has deadlines. There are things in life and the deadline is, it, it, the purpose of the deadline is what? To get you to act. Because if there was no deadline, there was no sense of urgency and, and they provided you power and they called you, you could say, I'm going to pay. Why? It's because there is no deadline as to when you need to pay. And so, yeah, you're going to pay. You're three months running on your electric bill. And they call you and say, I'm going to pay. And they can't say you're not going to pay. Why? It's because there's no deadline. If there's no deadline, then there can be no accountability. And if there's no accountability, you can't say 
that there's no commitment to pay. Mm. <laughs> so, 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 so notice what happens here. There is this, everything has a, has a, has a, has a, needs a sense of urgency if it's to be accomplished. And I'll give you another example. Um, if I brought you a, a full, unopened jug of milk that has February the 20th on it, would you drink a glass of it? Why? Because it's expired. Now, if it was February the 21st, you might drink it, right? Well, what I do, I'll drink it on the 21st, but what I do, I smell it first. <laughs> looking for the evidence that it does not work. It's not good. But, 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 but we recognize then that it's expired, so what happens? It's no good and we do not use it. Everything in the world involves the use of deadlines to create commitment, to create accountability, and to create a sense of urgency. And what excellence is, is excellence is giving our best. It's reaching our God-given potential. And excellence is simply this, is simply doing your best you can do with what you have. Now, why is that so important? We've seen that promotion comes from that. We're favored, we're admired. But I want to share just uh, four things with you this morning that when we're able to overcome the enemies of excellence, that it provides us benefits. Number one, why we do, why should we overcome those? Because God created us with excellence. Would you say that with me? God, God created me created with, excellence. with excellence. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I love the way it says it. It says it in a very powerful way. It says uh, in Ephesians 2, 10, it says that for you've heard me talk about it so many times, so many times, Ephesians 2.10. It talks about how we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You know what the New Living Translation says? It says it like this. This NIV says that we are his workmanship, but notice what the New Living Translation says. It says that for we are God's what? And you know, you, I love masterpieces because it's an original work of art. And the masterpiece has so much value. It's because it's seen as an excellent piece of work, an excellent piece of art. And, and, and the masterpiece, if you go to the museum, you may be able to see a masterpiece that they pay $10 million for. But you can go to the local mall and get a copy of that masterpiece for $10. And so notice this, that the value is in what? The original, not in the copy. And, 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 but I, I saw something this week that, that just stirred up in my spirit. Why? It's because the word masterpiece in the Greek, it means poem, poem. And what that means is that for you are God's amazing poem that he has written for others to read about the good things that he has planned for you. But then now about the good things that you have accomplished for him. You are a poem written by God for other people to read. My God, that's what maybe David had a heart after God's own heart. And we see the book of Psalm as being a poem. You are a rhyming, a rapping piece of work by God that he has created. For others to read so that they can see what he has planned for you. Come on, would you say, I'm a poem. Okay, you from, 
Okay, you, you a po poem, poem, whatever you want to call it. It's P-O-E-M. It's not pronounced like that. Well, poem. Your amazing story that God has written. <laughs> so God created us. Now, I want you to know this. He's created us. His work is never average. His work is never mediocre. It's always what? Excellent. So God has created us with excellence. Now, number two, God deserves your best. As you write that, I want you to just repeat after me. God created me with excellence. God deserves my best. Look at this. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. <laughs> In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. So notice this, that whatever you do on your job, for your company, uh, at the Champion Center, you're not doing it for your company. You're not doing it for the Champion Center. You're doing it for God. You're not doing it for other people. You're not doing it to be recognized. You're not doing it to be noticed. You're doing it for who? God. And he says that work your best. Work your best. Do your best. Because work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for other folk. So number one, God created us with excellence. Number two, God desires your best. And number three, God expects your work to be an act of worship. Come on, say that with me. God expects my work to be an act of worship. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Check this out. So brothers and sisterings, brotherings and sisterings, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him which is the spiritual way for you to worship. Your work isn't work. Your work is worship. And we should work with our best attitude, always striving to do our best. Look, look, look. We always, God wants you to reach your potential. So you're not working for the champion center. You're not working for uh, Amazon. Shell, Exxon, you're not working for IBM, you're not working for Hertz, you're not working for the city of Warden, you're working for God. And notice this, what you're doing as you're working, you're worshiping. Can you look at that? I'm working, but I'm worshiping. I'm working, but I'm worshiping. And because it's with excellence, the Bible says God is pleased with that. But what it does is say is that God becomes captivated by your work. So I'm working, but I'm not working. I'm worshiping, and God is captivated by your worship, which is your work. Notice how it all fits together. So God expects you, your work, to be an act of worship. Lastly, God requires your, your full potential. He doesn't want what he's placed in you to just come out a little bit. If we are to be a sacrifice, remember under the old covenant, whenever a sacrifice was offered, that it wasn't 25% it wasn't of the lamb. It wasn't 50%. It was a burnt offering. 
It was, it was consumed. It wasn't 50% of the lamb. It wasn't 75% of the lamb. It was 100% of the lamb that was offered. And so God expects your full potential, not 25% of it, not 50% of what he's placed on the inside of you, not 75% of that gift, but he expects 100% of the gift that he has placed on the inside of you. And look, church, we have been designed for excellence. We have been designed with excellence, by excellence. Then shouldn't we be excellent? Look, you don't have to be the best. But what God is calling for you to do is to do your best. 